Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Life Happens. I'm Lou Piero, your host for this morning. Coming to you live from actually Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm out here at the conference of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, where I spoke yesterday on an aspect of trust law called Trust Protectors, which we do build into all of our trust at Pierre O'Connor and Strauss. Life Happens comes to you every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on Talk Radio WGY. And we try to bring you ideas to help you work your way through life and all of the minefields that are out there waiting for us because life happens. Are you prepared? And today we're going to talk with some people that have a great deal to do with how successfully we age in the state of New York. Uh, and we talk about aging as a lifestyle. It's not just that you're getting old anymore. You want to age gracefully. You want to get services. You want to have things available to you. Uh, and perhaps you're someone who's planning for your retirement. Perhaps you're caring for an aging parent. Perhaps you just want to know about what the services are that are available to us in the state of New York. And if you're in any of those categories, today is the show for you. We have spe- special guests on today, one of whom is the director of the New York State Office for Aging, and that's Greg Olson. The other is the uh, head of the New York State Area Agencies on Aging, Rebecca Preeby. So Greg and Becky have a great deal to do with how we successfully age in New York State, and I want to welcome them to the show and thank them for joining us this morning. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Becky. Hey, Lou. How are you? Greetings from Albany to Scottsdale, and good morning to all your listeners this morning. Good morning, Lou, and it's great to be here, and I hope you're enjoying your time in Arizona. I am, indeed. It is uh, every day sunny and 102. Other than that, it's just nice out here. Um, So you you are, Greg and Becky, you're going to be joining me on Thursday at something called the Elder Law Forum. It's our 27th year doing this, 27 years of hosting a conference that brings together experts on aging and disability law and policy. And you, Greg, you'll be speaking, and Becky, you'll be on a panel with me. And I'm really looking forward to the day. It just keeps building. We have about 900 people, believe it or not, signed up to attend the Elder Law Forum. It's both virtual and live. So you can come join us at the Desmond Americana. There is no charge. It's free of charge. You can join us at the Desmond for a program from 830 to 3, or you can follow us on the web. You can sign up on at purelaw.com and you can attend this conference, the annual Elder Law Forum virtually. And and Greg, I want to start with you because you're going to be presenting along with Adam Herbst from the New York State Department of Health on things going on in New York. And man, there are a lot of things going on in New York. Just give our listeners a little touch of what is going on in the state, the budget that just went through the programs, the 1115 waiver, all the things that are kind of percolating that are exciting because we think about aging as something that, oh, I get old and I'm I'm not going to have any life or independence or quality, but the state's working hard to, to make that happen. Yeah, Lou, and I, th- I think the context of your forum um, really is the context for my answer to that question, which is you're bringing together a broad-based group of organizations, individuals, um, community-based organizations, because aging and disability um, touches so many different agencies. And I think, you know, the governor's budget this year, um, many have said, have never seen a budget like this. And and I haven't either in my 30 years of being in this business. Um, We are so excited globally about the master plan on aging, which uh, we will be working with the health department on. And really what that is, is is kind of age-friendly New York 2.0. It's not exclusively for older adults. It's how you build communities that help people from birth to death uh, be successful. The built environment, housing, transportation, walkability, access to trails, and so on and so forth. So I'll be going through some of the things that are in the budget uh, from other agencies that really lend itself to helping us um, at the community level 
be successful and follow up, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, most older adults are, consider themselves very healthy. They're very active. Um, getting older is not doom and gloom, but there are people that obviously need help, and that's what uh, Becky and I do at the community level in coordination with long-term care, health care, um, and making sure that people have access to work if they need it, social opportunities, staying connected, volunteering, and so much more. So it's about staying healthy, and, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 64. Holy cow, how'd that happen? <laughs> You're probably going to play year, the Beatles medic. song, aren't you? I'll, every every time I do, our engineer Zach plays that for I, me. Well, he's I nodding. I do like the Warren Zevon yeah. you opened up with. <laughs> there you go. Uh, lawyers, guns, and money. Sometimes we need that, but sometimes we just need to feel useful and productive and have a, an ability to get the services that we need as we need them. And it, it it's a gradual approach for some people because – as you turn 65, 70, 75, 80, uh, my partner, Peter Strauss, just turned 86. He's still working very actively and, and still very vibrant. And he's actually going to receive an award out here in Scottsdale from the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, a Lifetime Achievement Award for the work that he's done over his career. But people want to feel useful, active, vibrant, and it, that's what it's about. But when things happen, when life happens, and you have an illness, you have a diagnosis, you have an injury, you want to know that the services are there for you. So, Becky, let's turn to you because the area agencies on aging are the boots on the ground. And they provide a bundle of services to people as they age. Talk a little bit about you and your agency. I know your background, but let our listeners know where you come from in this game and what your role is in helping to provide that, that service platform. Sure, Lou. So I'm the executive director of the Association on Aging in New York, and we represent the 59 area agencies on aging, also known as Offices for the Aging, um, that fall underneath the um, oversight of New York State Office for the Aging and Greg. So we're the membership organization. We do a lot with the network from technical assistance um, to political advocacy, et cetera, and really work to change policy at a state level with our partners. Um, and I think what, what's really important to this conversation when you talk about when things happen and the healthcare lens is prior to being in this position, I ran a local office for the aging, um, but my history is as a social worker in an acute care facility. So really have some strong roots in the, in the healthcare landscape that I think we're going to get into. When you talk about services and supports that are available for older people in the community, as Greg said, predominantly um, older people are vibrant, they're givers to the community, their caregiving at an unpaid level is worth about $14 billion in the state, they're, they're our biggest group of volunteers, they give to charity work. Um, but there are people in that segment of the population that may need some assistance. And that's really where um, the predominantly county-based AAAs come into play. So. We offer programs for healthy older people, for social engagement, um, and to really age healthy. We do a lot with chronic disease self-management programs and education on nutrition, um, et cetera. But then we also have more embedded services for people that may have you know, additional issues that they need assistance with. We're probably most well known for our home delivered meal program, um, nutrition program, but that's really only a small mm -hmm. part of really the core services and supports that are offered for older people in the state. Um, we also offer home care services for the non-Medicaid eligible population. So those are people that fall in that gray area where they aren't low enough income to qualify for Medicaid covered services, but they can't afford to privately pay out of pocket. Um, we do know in that subset of the population that we, we serve them um, at very low cost for a very long period of time. We also offer social adult day programs. We offer caregiver supports and services. We offer registered dietitian services for nutrition education and counseling. We offer free legal services for people that can't afford um, on their own. We actually supplement those services. And then we work with a variety of other community-based partners to make sure that we're supporting older New Yorkers and their families and caregivers. Um, and we also run the New York Connects program, which I think is probably the biggest takeaway for the listeners today, is that every corner of New York State is covered by the New York Connects program. And that's a number that you can call to get directly uh, in touch with your local service provider infrastructure for any assistance that you might need. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a mouthful. And a lot of things that are happening every day. And people, I don't think, really understand what the resources are that they can access. So if I'm living in Albany County or Rensselaer County or Saratoga County, 
how do I reach out and, and what's available to me on, on a day-to-day basis? How do I find those services? Yeah, and I think that's a great question, Lou. And, you know, Becky talked about a lot of the services that we provide, uh, not only at the Office for Aging level, but with uh, almost 1,200 community-based organizations. Your listeners don't have to remember all the services that are available. They just need to know where to start. And where you start is either New York Connects, that's 1-800-342-9871, or newyorkconnects.ny.gov, or call your office for the aging. And what they will do is have a conversation. There's a, actually a person that you can talk to, uh, regardless of what the need may be, or just to get information. Um, but you always got to start with somebody who's not selling something. They're, they're working with individuals um, to make sure that the information they're provided is objective and um, the resources are available if somebody needs them so the person can choose what makes sense to them. And just to point out that the Elder Law Forum is an event where we're, we're not selling anything. So if you want to join this, you're going to hear a discussion from three state legislators, from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, from Greg and Adam, from Becky, and a whole host of people talking about aging and aging services and, and handling the what's really mounting as a crisis in the shortage of staff in the healthcare system and ways that we can get around that. I know the governor had a lot of proposals in this last budget that got debated and at the end of the day got unfortunately watered down a little bit. Um, Becky, talk a little bit about the, the, the workforce issues, because I know you were very much involved with the bill, as was Greg, to try to reinvigorate what is right now a tremendous shortage of people that are available as caregivers, as, as people in the healthcare industry, caring for individuals, personal care aid what's what happened in this legislative session and what are what are we looking at long term to help turn this around so i think you have to look back at history um dating back you know 30 to 40 years ago when you talk about the home care workforce issue so this was identified not only by new york state but also nationally back in the 1980s as we really looked at the population base we looked at the number of formal caregivers through licensed home care agencies and what we have seen over the course of that you know decades of time is that we continue to see a reduction in the number of individuals who are entering the direct workforce realm. Um, we're also seeing a higher number of individuals that may not have children that can act as caregivers on their behalf. And then we're also struggling with the fact that as you know, other sectors of employment continue to increase their minimum wage or base rate, that it's really hard to to build the market of direct care professionals. And I think the important nuance of that, Lou, is that to be a direct support professional or otherwise known as a home health aide, you have to be um, a medical professional, professional, you have to be a social worker, you have to be really well in tuned with family dynamics, you have to have a personal vehicle for most of the state, you have to have snow tires on that vehicle, et cetera. Um, the hours are not always guaranteed, so it's not a nine to five job, you have to worry about childcare issues. Um, and then when you look at other sectors paying more than you can make per hour. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. 
providing those services, it's a deterrent for a lot of people to join the workforce. So here in New York State, we're already fourth in the nation as far as the number of individuals over the age of 60. If you look at, at demographic projections, the fastest growing segment of the population in New York State are those over the age of 80. And we do know that most of the individuals over the age of 80 would be into the home care market at some point because people want to age in place. They don't want to go to institutional settings. Um, so a coalition from the disability and the aging community came together over the course of the past two years to fight for fair pay for home care, which was legislation that would actually increase the wages uh, for direct support professionals to $22.50 in the downstate urban areas and about $17 here in upstate. And really, um, we came to that benchmark based on a CUNY research report that was done that showed the economic spillover benefit of actually increasing the wages. Um, and when you talk about economic spillover, you know if you can get people to that level of income that they are no longer dependent on maybe Medicaid or SNAP benefits or daycare subsidies. They're also purchasing more goods and services in the community. They're buying vehicles, um, et cetera. So we really looked at that to make sure, number one, that there would be an economic benefit for the legislative ask, but also to make sure that we protected these direct support professionals from hitting what's called a benefits cliff. Um, and the, the concern is that the benefits cliff is a, a real um it's a real issue for a lot of people that may, de may be dependent upon uh, the SNAP benefit program for food insecurity. And if they and just, don't get for our listeners, Becky, let me let me just slow you down a step. SNAP means something, and obviously to you it means something. To our listeners, it may not. What what is the SNAP program? And this folks is be careful what you ask for, Bill. When these people got raises, $2 an hour, it increased their salary but took them off other benefits that are probably more valuable than the $2, and SNAP is one of them. So well, just tell our listeners what that is. So a lot of people refer to the SNAP program as the food stamp program. So it's really mm -hmm. um, an allotment that's awarded to an individual or a family on a monthly basis to help them purchase food. And as you spoke to, Lou, um, we did not win the legislation in, in this session. We did get a $3 increase in the home health aid wage over the, the next two years. Um, and the Advocacy Coalition is still examining, you know, possible legislation that we can get for some worker protections. But the benefits cliff that I talk about um, is basically if you increase the wage a little bit, but not enough to really make someone be able to sustain. Um, if you take away $400 a month in that food stamp benefit, it's actually a deterrent for them to work additional hours because they're losing financially um, on public service benefits. So it's something that we're watching carefully. I am really proud, Lou, that um, this year we saw such a focus and such uh, publicity over the importance of direct care professionals, and that's something we're going to continue to build upon. Excellent. We have to take a short break, and when we come back, Greg and Becky are going to really lay out for us what's going on at the New York State level. And they're also involved at the national level in some things and movements that are happening because as we age, we want to live in our homes. We want to maintain our independence, and we want to know that there's a network out there of support. And I can tell you being an elder law attorney that when most people reach out to that network, there's just nothing to grab onto, but it is changing, and that's the good news. And we're going to come back and talk about that right after this break. You're listening to Life Happens Radio. Every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock on Talk Radio WGY, we will be right back. Oh, here we go again. letting this play out a little bit folks but think about this that song was back in the early 60s we have two social programs that provide health care and other benefits called medicare and medicaid and both of those programs were enacted in 1965 when being 64 was actually old is 64 old today i don't think so because i'm going to be that I feel good. I, I want, I'm going to be working another 10 years plus. And most people, as they are in their 60s, are not thinking of that song. We're not putting ourselves in a position where our life is kind of winding down. But the life expectancy in 1965 for a male was about 68. Now it's in the 80s. So life has changed. People are living longer. You need to plan. You need to prepare for aging 
and retirement in a way that you never had to do before because medicine and healthcare are keeping us alive. Our two guests today are helping us to age gracefully and helping to provide the services that we need to stay vibrant, stay healthy, stay young throughout our retirement years, throughout those quote-unquote golden years. Greg Olson with the New York State Office for Aging, Rebecca Preeby with the county agencies on aging. And, and Greg, I'm going to go back to you. You mentioned the governor's budget and things that are kind of happening to really take cognizance of the fact that New York has a tremendous aging population and we need to really build out the services and, and platform available to them. What are some of the things that are happening and some of the things that you're working on to bring this home for people to stay at home? Yeah, thanks, Lou. Um, you know, the, it, it's a really exciting time. And again, I got to thank the governor, not only for the investments in our agency, but really across the board. Um, some of the things that we've been working on, uh, especially uh, starting in the pandemic, is was the isolation uh, that older adults were facing because of the virus. And Becky and I have teamed up on so many innovative things that frankly are being replicated all across the country. Um, from our animatronic pet project, um, which has been shown to reduce depression, uh, isolation, and anxiety, um, to uh, launching platforms to connectivity like Get Set Up, um, where anybody over the age of 50, so all your listeners, if you're over the age of 50, you can uh, Google Get Set Up, and you can take uh, one of 600 classes that are on a rotating basis um, throughout the year to not only um, connect you with other people, but things that really matter to you, whether it's cooking or photography or, or a virtual museum or health and wellness classes. Uh, we're partnering with a startup out of California called GoGo Grandparent to offer transportation options uh, throughout New York State. And we're building that capacity now. 95% of the state of New York has no public transportation. Uh, we've launched with self-help what's called the Virtual Senior Center, again, to bring programming into the homes uh, of older adults. Later this month, we're launching a, uh, um, a platform to support uh, those individuals who provide daily tasks, whether it be snow removal or bill paying or personal care or transportation or help getting to doctor's appointments. Those people are called caregivers. Uh, so we are launching in partnership with Trualta. Um, they're evidence-based, and evidence-based is just a fancy word for saying They've evaluated it, and it works. That is available to any caregiver, any age in the state of New York, and there's so much more that we're doing in addition to the 26-plus services, uh, some of which Becky had talked about. And I really just got to give a plug to our county offices for the aging who uh, and their partners who are just doing a tremendous job at the community level um, you know, to support older adults and their families. Um, older people live in families. They're not isolated. They don't live in a particular agency. You know, we've got 350,000 grandparents taking care of grandkids. We have younger people taking care of older adults. Um, so th this is really family-oriented, not targeted just to older people. They live in families. Now, Greg, you mentioned the, the animatronic pets and the virtual services. A lot of movement during COVID was because you couldn't – the social daycare centers closed, right, during the COVID period? That's correct. Are, are they mostly reopened now? So it depends. There's two funding streams, right? So there's social adult day programs that are funded by Medicaid, uh, and then there's social adult day programs that are funded by our office. Uh, we have about almost 100 across the state. Ours uh, are in different phases of reopening, but we never stop providing services. So those individuals mm -hmm. um, who were participating in social adult day, we were able to, well, network-wide, whether it be social adult day or not, we turned on a dime and, and started to do uh, a lot of things virtually, and that is the new normal. Technology should never take the place of interactions, but it will be a part of the future. Um, you know, not everybody can use technology. It's not appropriate for everybody, um, but it's going to be a part of the, of the mainstream. So the future really is now and how we build some of these things out as we go forward. So, and, and Becky, I know you're working on a number of things that involve technology. So... Talk a little bit about what's going on at the county level, you know, the boots on the ground, the services that are available to people at their county offices for the aging. So as Greg mentioned, um, almost all of the counties in New York State are in some way, shape, or form involved in the innovations that we piloted during the pandemic. And so um, 
all these items that made it into the New York State budget were happening at the community level. Um, and this will allow us to actually grow those programs. So what that means at the local level um, is really when the pandemic hit and we saw it really targeting older people and the restrictions were put in place, all of the county offices for the aging immediately evaluated their full caseloads to see exactly. We're gonna, Becky, we're going to be right back to finish that thought because we have a hard break for the news that we're going to take right now. Stay with us, folks. You don't want to miss the second half of the show with Greg Olson and Becky Preview. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Life Happens Radio. I'm Heath your host for this morning, coming to you live from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm looking out my window at the sunshine, and it's a nice warm weekend back in Albany, and I hope you're all enjoying that sunny weekend. I apologize for the clumsy handoff at the end of that first segment, but uh, you know it's hard to manage from my hotel room and really know when that break comes. But we have guests on. I'm going to turn it back over to Becky in a minute. Greg Olson, director of the New York State Office for Aging, and Rebecca Preve, the director of the New York of the Area Agencies on Aging for New York State. And, and Becky, you were talking about some of the things that are going on at the county level. And I apologize for having cut you off, but I'm going to give it right back to you and let you run with that thought because these are issues and ideas and programs that are available to people every day, and, and it's important for our listeners to know what's out there. Sure, Lou, and I know it's hard to get a word in edgewise with me sometimes, so no worries. Um, so just, you know, recapping kind of the things that Greg walked through, a lot of those uh, services and supports were embedded in the community. A lot of counties actually use dollars to purchase tablets or to set up friendly calls programs. And really, um, we became laser focused on the healthcare system and how we can support people in homes and communities in partnership with acute care and skilled nursing facilities. And one of the, the programs that I, I think we're going to talk about today, Lou, is really the Columbia County pilot project um, yeah. with Everhome. And, you know, to give a, a broad base before you speak to that a little bit, um, we know that all of the social determinants of health that dictate healthcare services and acuity and ER visits and hospitalizations and skilled nursing facility placements are done by our network. And when I talk about social determinants of health, um, that's really all of the things that we talked about previously. So housing, transportation, nutrition, um, case management supports and services, really having a coordinated system. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That community-based organizations that are providing in-home services or case management are then able to work with acute care facilities, primary care physicians' offices, and really what we're focused on is holistic care in the community and in the healthcare system. And I think the Columbia County pilot project that we're going to talk about really encompasses best practices for how to do that successfully. And our goal is to build off that moving forward to make sure that we have data showing the efficacy of making sure we have seamless services regardless of where you land in the healthcare continuum. And last week we had on the show three of the other people that are going to be on the panel with us in it's innovation. And, and this is really, I think where healthcare is moving towards based upon the value based billing that we talked about last week. And that is people are getting paid not to, not to treat. It's, it's a fee for service industry healthcare that's shifting and it's like turning the Titanic around, but it's shifting into something called value based payments, which means that, coalitions of providers, hospitals, doctors, et cetera, are getting paid by the insurers to keep people healthy and to keep them well and to keep them out of the emergency room, out of the hospital, and to reduce their overall healthcare costs. And one of the people we had on last week was Nick Kraft, who's the, the chief sales and marketing officer for CDPHP, a Medicare provider, health insurance provider, locally, a very, very good company. We, we insure with CDPHP. But they're doing innovation and doing things that are just moving the ball down the field in a way that allows people to stay healthier, get services, get care, 
We also had Keith Algazine on, CEO of UCM Digital Health, which provides telemedicine in-home, and Bob Vandy, president of Advisors Insurance Brokers. Three of the panelists with you, Becky, on the panel that I'm chairing. And again, it's the Elder Law Forum on May 19th, which is this Thursday. So if you want to join us, that's just one of the many panels and, and speaker groups that are going to be on. You can join us and, and just sign up at purolaw.com. You can show up at the Desmond at 8.30 and 8 o'clock for breakfast, 8.30 for the program, or you can watch live online, purolaw.com. Go to the events tab, and you can sign up right now as you're listening. But innovation, Becky, is so important. And you're talking about a pilot program that we've been working on for a few years now. And it really is bringing all of those groups together. So if you have a primary care physician, you know that that physician is, is trying to manage your care, but it's not always easy to network that physician's care with maybe a specialist care, with maybe home health care or other things that you have. But talk a little bit about how the pilot is bringing all of these groups together and creating what we're calling the virtual healthcare ecosystem for people in their homes. Sure, and I think we look at this from two different lenses, Lou, right? You look at it from the the healthcare savings side. We know that we have to be able to control costs in in our healthcare system, but then also look at it from the patient and caregiver perspective. The last thing that someone wants is a fragmented service delivery system that doesn't communicate with one another. The other issue is, um, we all know this, when you go to your primary care physician's office, at best, you might get 15 to 20 minutes with that primary care physician. Um, And to really share what's gone on in your life or chronic health conditions during that period is very difficult. So what this pilot project does is it actually allows us to have a completely encompassed service system within the home um, that also communicates in real time with provider services. And the the really wonderful thing about that, Lou, is um, there's a couple key components to the pilot project. One of them is having a life care coordinator um, who are just amazing at the work that they do. They are really responsible to drive services and supports uh, in conjunction with other community-based providers or home health aid services. But it also brings in a component of telehealth. And I think that that's something that has been missing in a lot of uh, various projects that have been done across the state to coordinate care. Um, This allows inpatient monitoring, and the reason that's so important is you can actually use the data to um, share medical information. So I think, you know, a a really easy one is if you have a bed monitor that shows that your mom, um, who has some chronic health conditions, has a different pattern in how many times she gets up during the night, it might alert you to look for a urinary tract infection. Um, So really tangible results almost instantly. It also allows um, telehealth visits with emergency room physicians. So instead of having to bring a parent or a loved one to an emergency department, you're actually able to triage that, have a telehealth visit in the home, um, and then come up with a care plan. And it also allows caregivers, regardless of where they reside, to communicate in real time with the VivaLinks app in the home. So if I lived in Arizona, where you are, Lou, and my mom Mm -hmm. was here in Albany, um, I could actually enter into her care plan my conversation that I had with her on the phone. And I could then see notes um, from maybe a sibling that actually was in the home during the day. So really innovative technology services. And I can tell you anecdotally, we know this is going to be successful because it is truly coordinated care. And we're going to be able to build on what this, this pilot project shows us in the future to transform care in New York State. Yeah, when, when I talk to people about what that pilot is, and, and Becky, you're, you're the chair of the not-for-profit board that's really helping to construct this whole program, it, it is mind-numbing because people struggle. Uh, people struggle to get care in. We're going to have Al Cardillo on the panel. Who's gonna, he has a whole panel on the staffing shortages and the, the need for more people to be the caregivers professionally to take care of people in their own homes. And as Greg said earlier, technology doesn't replace that, but it supplements it in a way that makes it much more meaningful and maybe reduces the amount of hands-on care that you may need in the home. So it's all working together, coming together. But the technology, people look at that and say, oh, my, my parent could never use a computer, could never do anything on a cell phone. And the good news is they don't have to. The way this program is constructed The person in the home doesn't really have to do anything or touch anything. It's all there for them, but they have care managers and their care, family caregivers 
who can manage things from afar using that app. And I could pop the app on my cell phone and have a conversation with my mom or dad back in Albany right now from Scottsdale or anywhere in the world. And that, that connectivity is really at the heart of this, keeping people connected and the things that Greg mentioned about bringing programming in, all of that can be delivered in a way that is seamless and effortless for the people in the home. And I think that's the game changer. It is the game changer, and I think I want to build upon that because we all know how important healthcare and healthcare access is. <clears throat> but I really want to focus in on, you know, uh, Becky's point about holistic care. You know, if you're at a physician's office, as you talked about, and you're you get five, ten, fifteen minutes. If you wind up in the ER in a hospitalization, you're you're in and out very quickly, often very complicated. Healthcare system cannot solve the problems alone. Technology cannot solve the problems alone. Our system can't solve the problems alone. You have to bring them all together. If somebody, you know, the, the, there's a reason they call it acute care. It's short, it's episodic, then people go back into the home and that's where the heavy lift is done. And that's where our network mm -hmm. and the community-based partners happen. So if you have somebody like a life care uh, coordinator working with our case managers, you know, what are the reasons uh, for preventable hospital, hospital readmissions, right? Uh, medication issues, um, not being able to do follow-up appointments to your physician or a specialist. We know these types of things. So when you coordinate these things and build in technology, you're going to have success rates. I can't wait for the data to come out of this. And when you have tools like sensors and video cameras and, and many other things that technology is allowing, it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to enhance. And I just want to follow up one other thing. It's a myth that older people don't use technology. They're, they're not at the same rate as the general public, which is 85%, but they're about 65%. And 20 years from mm -hmm. now, we won't even be having this conversation. So you're absolutely right that some of this technology is hands-free. Um, but for most older people, they do use the technology. They can learn the technology. They can um, enhance their skills in the technology. You know, you don't lose your capacity when you turn whatever, Lou. I'm, I'm going to say 64, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to do that to just stick you a little bit, right? It's, uh, but, That's okay. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, I know you're using it. it. My father's 80. He uses it. My mother is 78. She's using technology. So, you know, let's not overly, and I'm not suggesting you did this, for the public, let's not generalize that older people don't use technology. They absolutely do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have an aunt who's 99. And we have the technology in her home and we have a group of, she didn't have any children of her own. So she doesn't have a child or a caregiver that's there every day, but we have cousins, her, her nieces and nephews that have all kind of banded together. And some of them are there on a right, very regular basis. And the technology was the sensors, the cameras. So we knew when she was up out of bed, we knew when she was in her comfy chair, we knew when, she was having a slow day where she didn't move around the house very much because the sensors were monitoring her. And it's all technology that has artificial intelligence. So it actually developed patterns of movement in the home and told us when those patterns became irregular, when she was not moving as much as normal, when she was not getting around the way that she did on a normal day. We actually got an alarm and it went off on our phones and we could then call we could zoom right into her kitchen with a camera and have a conversation with her. And, and she was very happy because we could communicate with her. We knew that she was healthy or, or she was having a, a, an issue. And as you mentioned, Becky, telemedicine and Keith Algazine, who is the CEO of UCM Digital Health, if she had a real issue, she could have a, a visit from an emergency room physician. And, and think about this difference, folks. Instead of going to the emergency room, sitting, waiting, waiting for a bed. And the ERs are now all short of staff, number one, because people left the workforce during COVID. They didn't come back. And right now we have another COVID outbreak. So she's waiting for a bed in the ER. Then she gets into the ER. Then she's waiting for a doctor. It's hours and hours. The average response time that Keith talked about last week is seven minutes to have an ER physician do a consult in the home. Seven minutes. And that is just a dramatic change from what there is today. And, and, and I think you guys are right. The results, we kind of know what they are, what they're going to be. But this is where healthcare is now moving with value-based payments. And the area agencies on aging, Becky, are right there 
side by side with the healthcare system to make this work for people in their homes. They are, Lou, and I think a, a good nuance when we talk about the changes in healthcare, and not to get too technical about the the proposed 1115 waiver amendment. Um, that we're looking at for the course of the next five or so years is when you think about the heavy lift to support people in the community after they've had either an acute care visit, an ER visit, or a skilled nursing facility visit um, really falls on the AAA network. And that, that has a variety of different iterations. For the most part, we are deeply embedded in the discharge planning process. So when you're coming out of a hospital, um, it's really important to note that you do have your local office for the aging that can help you with that care transitions, which is really, really important to make sure that all services and supports that someone is um, eligible for can be turned on in their communities, including if you get discharged on Monday and you need home delivered meal on Tuesdays, that will happen for you post-discharge. And that's just one example of the things that we can coordinate. Um, And there's also great information sharing back to primary care providers. So again, in that very brief visit from a primary care perspective, it's very difficult to really have a collective picture of how that patient is truly doing in the community. And that's what our network can share back with that physician. They can talk about family dynamics. They can talk about the built environment and if if changes needed to be made to a bathroom or um, for accessibility issues. They can also talk about what's really happening with medications in someone's home, especially if they're diabetic and need injections that they're not doing successfully. So that information sharing collectively really overall assists the health of the consumer in the community. Absolutely. We have to take one more short break. And folks, if you're a pet lover, stay with us for this next segment because we're going to talk about how vital pets have become during the COVID period. How many people, we have a, a COVID dog. A lot of people got pets, live pets during the COVID time period. But if you can't have a live pet, there is a next best thing. We're going to talk about that when we come back. So stay with us. You're listening to Life Happens Radio, Talk Radio WGY, 810 AM, 1031 FM. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m., we'll be right back after this short break. Ask the girl what she wanted to be. All right, coming back with Beatles. Welcome back. I'm Lou Piero. Piero Connor Strauss, your host for Life Happens Radio this morning, on with Greg Olson and Becky Preeby. And Greg, I'm going to jump right in. You mentioned animatronic pets before, which is a word many people may not recognize. But I've seen this in action, and I've seen this video of people interacting with these pets. And I remember my my mom, who had Alzheimer's, she she gravitated towards mechanical toys during her Alzheimer's. That was just something she did. But these pets are now helping people to cope with loneliness and isolation. Talk a little bit about that and what New York State's doing in that area. Yeah, thanks, Lou. Uh, it's, uh, I got to be honest, it's one of my favorite projects in my 30 years in the field. So, you know, in 2018, when uh, there was CMS released some data on the impact of social isolation, as Becky talked about, this is something that we've addressed uh, within our network for 45 years. Um, it, it put data behind really what the impact is, equivalent to smoking a pack a day, uh, uh, healthcare costs um, similar to diabetes, obesity, uh, COPD. Um, so we started a pilot project, and actually Becky and Franklin was one of the uh, 14 counties where we tested these. Now I, the term is going to be confusing for people. Animatronic, it's a you know it's about a foot um, you know high uh, artificial intelligence dog and cat that purr, that bark. You can feel the heartbeat. You can feel the purr wag their tail, and so we did a, a pilot um, to test uh, the efficacy. Sorry, I just unplugged myself uh, uh, to, to test what the impact would be on depression, anxiety, and isolation. And we weren't surprised. Um, 75% of individuals after a year um, had a significant reduction in isolation and actually pain. There's been many other studies since then that show the impact, uh, same type of impact on individuals with Alzheimer's, cognitive impairment, et cetera. So we're now in our fourth year of this. We have just ordered 17,000 Uh, more pets to distribute through Becky's network because, again, we have uh, case managers and staff that are in the homes of older adults and know who the people are who can benefit. And, Lou, we know what makes people tick, regardless of age, arts and culture, music, pets. And so we weren't surprised. But one of the new things that we are testing is called the Walker Squawker. 
Everybody knows the impact of a fall on an older adult. Um, the chances of be, be go, uh, breaking a hip, going into a nursing home, and dying. So the Walker Squawker is designed to go onto the walker, again, using artificial intelligence to remind the individual um, not to forget their walker. So that's going to help with strength. It's also going to help with fall and uh, injury reduction, and we're going to be testing that at Teresian House. But we've ordered about 7,000 of those. And I'd like Becky to talk about our Pets Together project because that is free for also anybody uh, who's older in New York State. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, just to tie into the animatronic pet, I was lucky enough to be one of the pilot counties, and I cannot tell you the impact that delivering these animals had to older people. It was it, it was very heartwarming. Um, another project that we launched uh, organically through the pandemic that we're super proud of, and as Greg said, is completely free, are for animal lovers to actually interact not only with animals, but also individuals. And so there is a, a not-for-profit company called Pets Together, that actually launched a virtual platform of friendly visiting with pets. And so Greg and I actually had an opportunity to sit in on one of the Zooms and they actually have volunteers who come on camera with their animals, and it can be any animal you can imagine. Our visit with, was with a miniature horse, um, and surprisingly, chickens are the number one most requested animal to visit with. Um, and we were, we were paired up with a, an individual in her 80s that just conversed with the volunteer and their animal, and um, really an amazing program. It's completely free for anybody in New York State. So again, you can jump on Pets Together and click a link to actually schedule a visit. Um, if you're an animal lover as well, you can actually volunteer to um, become a volunteer with the company and share your time with your pet with older individuals who are faced with some social isolation or loneliness. When you think about today's society, I have three kids in the working world and none of them goes to an office. None of them leaves their home. They all work, all three of my children work 100% virtually from their home. And People are now living virtually and getting services virtually in ways that weren't possible before and, and weren't even contemplated before. But this is really where the society, our society is moving. And as you mentioned, the adoption rate for technology, the people who are today the caregivers, which is my role as a you know, 64-year-old, most people are, are caregivers for aging parents in their 80s. But when those baby boomers start to age out, the whole world shifts. And, Greg, I think people are finally starting to wake up to the demographics of the world. Um, this is not just a United States problem. Those animatronic pets, I think, evolved out of Japanese technology. But talk about what's going on, what the budget looked like, and what's going on at the state and federal level to accommodate this tremendous shift in the population. Yeah, I think there's a couple things, um, Lou. You know, the, the aging of the population should not be viewed as doom and gloom, right? Um, there are always going to be people in every age segment that are going to need some help. But you're right. It raises awareness that there's a lot of new tools that are available to help people. And, and we you got to start early, um, you know, in your 30s and 40s with, you know, staying active, staying exercise, um, you know, uh, mental, you know, cognition, um, being uh, like you said, like uh, valued, uh, those things matter and have a huge impact on on later life. Um, but what we have to do, and I think we're doing that with the Columbia pilot. There's a uh, there's a pilot out. Well, it's not a pilot anymore. There's a program out in Rochester where we're embedding um, aging staff in physicians' offices and see the results of that. There are a lot of those types of demonstrations that we know work. And I, you know, it was interesting when you were talking about value-based payments. That here we are in 2022. And we're finally, you know, for the last five or six years, just talking about um, incentivizing good health and paying for that rather than, uh, you know, um, the fee for service and just getting paid to do things and shifting the model from a reactive model to a proactive model. So it's the data and the metrics that we need for many of these types of things that can drive policy, change the financial incentive to embed these programs and the connections into the community. As Becky said, our average older adult stays on our programs for 6.4 years uh, with a whole host of cross-system services at, at about $7,000 a year versus $160,000 for nursing homes. So the point being, they don't need to be, for the most part, in a skilled facility. They absolutely can uh, remain at home. So I am seeing 
a worldwide effort at innovation, and we need to embrace that. We need to uh, take a look at what those things are, uh, consolidate them so people know what's available to them. It's not government's job to subsidize everything. There are things that people can pay for privately. There's ways that we can partially subsidize, and then for those who are lower income that need some help, we can subsidize those things. So the future, I think, is really, really bright. But you know, older adults in general are a huge part of the national, state, local economy. They're the number one volunteer group, number one givers to philanthropy, number one givers to charity, huge tourism block, and the number mm -hmm. one entrepreneurs. So I don't want our listeners to think older adults have no value. It's quite the opposite. We would not have an economy without older adults. And you, you couldn't be more right. Last week we talked with Nick Kraft from CDPHP and Medicare is now jumping into this and innovating at the federal level, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and, and the president and, and the U.S. Congress are taking cognizance of this and rolling out programs that are proactive healthcare programs, not sick care programs, which is where we've been in the fee-for-service model. And, and Becky, that's kind of in line with all the things going on in New York to get to people earlier to create healthy lifestyles and, and to make sure that people know what services are available. You couldn't be more correct, Lou. And I think, um, especially through the pandemic, when we saw just the hit that the healthcare system took, it not only raised our value, but it also raised the visibility of engaging in community-based organizations and proactive health services like Greg spoke to. And, you know, our network's number one focus is always the, the older person that we're trying to serve. And we want that experience to be seamless. We want to allow them to age in place. I don't know of any individual I've ever worked with that said, I want to go to a nursing home. And so I think bu building a care continuum where we can support people where they want to be, which is in homes and communities, is exactly what we're focused on. And, and it's nice to see that the federal government is looking at that as well. Lou, can I just say one thing? I know you were short on time. You talked about people working virtually. That's a ho affordable housing opportunity for many of the uh, buildings that are being vacant. We're seeing that in New York State mm -hmm. as well. Phenomenal. And folks, if you want to hear more about this and get really into the detail, join us for the Elder Law Forum this Thursday from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to PiroLaw.com. You can sign up. You can watch it virtually from the comfort of your own home. Or if you want to get out for a day, join us at the Desmond. Greg, Becky, thank you so much for joining me today on Life Happens. As always, great show. And as always, to our listeners, join us next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.